Today, we're going to spend some time with a traditional prayer that uh, is part of our uh, experience as a church, as being United Methodist Church. So this is a prayer that was adopted by John Wesley. I'm going to uh, put it up on the screen, just the first slide of the prayer. I'm going to spend some time with this. This was something that happened. uh, John Wesley founded the Methodist movement. He was an Anglican uh, priest in England, and he began this renewal movement that really encouraged people to take their faith seriously and eventually came to the States, and I won't get into the whole history of it. But one of the things that this, this community of people called Methodists did was every year they would pray this prayer that was a, it was actually adopted from a Puritan prayer, um, uh, uh, which I heard from our worship leader. He's got a book of Puritan prayers. I guess they're pretty, they're pretty cool. And uh, so this prayer was adapted from that, and then they was encouraged that every year people would pray this prayer as a way of recommitting their life to Christ. So we're going to spend some time with it, um, and uh, um, I'm going to read it now, and then we'll pray it later. It simply says, um, uh, you can kind of see why this would be a good way to start the year. He says, I am no longer my own but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing, put me to suffering, let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee. Exalted for thee or brought low for thee, let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things. You can go to the next slide. Freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine and I am thine, so be it. And the covenant which I have made in earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. This prayer describes the life of a participant with Christ in his mission. It's, it's this practical description of what Jesus was talking about when he said in Luke 9.23, you can put it on the screen, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Today, I want to offer just, as we wrestle with this prayer, and we're going to look at it a couple different times, I, I want to offer us four ways that you might respond to this prayer. But really what I'm talking about is what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to lay down your life and pick up your cross? This prayer or this verse is just a placeholder for the overarching witness of Scripture that tells us to surrender all and follow God into the unknown. It's the same moment when when God called Moses and said, hey, go deliver my people. It's the same moment when God called Mary and said, I want you to give birth to the Messiah. It's it's throughout Scripture, God would say, "I, I want you. Sometimes it was to do something. Sometimes it was to endure something. Sometimes it just was to be something. Sometimes it was just to know something. But God would come to us and say, I want you, not part of you, not surrender some, but I want you to surrender all. So we talk about this prayer, but that's just a placeholder for this very simple line of what it means to pick up your cross, what it means to surrender all, and be willing for God to do whatever God wants to do in your life. And I don't know what that is. I'm not bold enough to even claim what that is. But whatever God wants to do in your life, it's a placeholder for that prayer. There's a couple ways to respond. The, the first way when you read a prayer like this and anything that's like calls for great sacrifice is you could receive it as a battle cry. Um, I, I'm not one that condone violence, but I will be honest that I do love a good war movie. 
And uh, I'm also not a big fan of Mel Gibson because of you know, some of the things he's done and said, but he's still one of the greatest uh, examples of a, of a battle cry in the movie Braveheart. And uh, it's a pretty intense little speech he gives. Uh, he says uh, he's gathered all of his troops together and every sort of call to arms has been compared to this, this speech. He says, uh, he's talking to his men. He says, fight and you may die. Run and you'll live. And I won't even try a Scottish accent, although I don't know if I could do better than Mel Gibson or not, but maybe. He says, fight and you may die. Run and you'll live at least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. You know, uh, there's this really great moment in Scripture where you see the disciples have a similar moment where they're like, I'm willing to die for Christ. It's Thomas. Um, I don't think he quite understood the moment as well as he should, but, but he's, uh, uh, Jesus says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They say, you shouldn't go to Jerusalem. They're going to kill you there. And Jesus says, well, I'm going to go to Jerusalem anyways. And then Thomas, also known as Didymus, this is John 11:16. you can put it on the screen. He said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. There's, there's often a moment in our Christian walk where we literally have to be willing to lay everything aside and, 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 and count the cost. Jesus talks about in 11, Luke 11, chapter 31. He says, what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? He says, you got to be willing to count the cost. And there's this moment where we come up to this line. It's like this line in the sand. And it's, you know, imagine a battlefield. And we have to be willing, like, if I cross this line, it might cost me everything. And we hear a prayer like this, where we say, put me to doing or put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside by thee, exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. And it's that kind of prayer that becomes this battle cry for saying, okay, let's do this. I will go to Jerusalem and die with Christ. That's one way to respond to this prayer as a battle cry. And um, maybe that's how you're entering 2022. Maybe. I'm not sure that's where I'm at. I'm not so courageous. I, I find that this prayer, from this vantage point, from this perspective, is a prayer that's often amongst those who are, uh, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but it's often people new to the faith, young. I mean, this was my early faith experience. I idolized, looked up to missionaries that would go to dangerous places. That's what I wanted to be when I grew up. I was like, I want, I want to be the type of person that would just sacrifice everything and go after God. Now, I've, I've lived a few more years. I've got a son and a wife, and I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't know. That's not quite where I'm at. But this is one way to respond to a prayer like this, to a call to surrender all. It's this moment where you say, you know what? I might not survive this, but I couldn't live with myself if I didn't try. And that's an important moment in our, in our spiritual discipline, in our, in our walk with Christ. So that's the first way. Here's the second way. Here's another way. Um, uh, you might respond to this prayer from a place as like a, it empowers you to like step out and do something risky. The other way you could hear a prayer like this or a call to surrender all is, is, is from a place of conviction. 
There's this guy who comes up to Jesus. He was known as a rich young ruler, which means he had uh, youth, health, he was uh, money, and also power. So all the things that we aspire towards. He comes up to Jesus and says, how can I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you've got to do what God commands of you. And he lists out some of the commandments. And he says, well, I've got all that taken care of. And then this is what Jesus says to him, uh, Mark 10, 21 to 22. You can put it on the screen. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have. I surrender all. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. He's telling this rich young ruler to pick up his cross. This is what it meant for this person, and maybe for some of us, to pick up his cross and follow Jesus. He says, go and sell everything you have. The prayer is, let me have everything or let me have nothing. And Jesus, in this situation, says, you get nothing. Sell everything you have. If you're serious about this, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure, and then come follow me. And at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. There's kind of two emotions in this story. Love and sadness. Jesus looked at this young man and loved him, it said. And because Jesus loved him, Jesus said, you've got to surrender all. There's a whole sermon right there. If God's asking you to give something up, your time, your energy, your money, it's not because Jesus hates you. (laughs) Do you hear what I'm saying? It's because Jesus honestly wants what's best for you. And that true joy is going to be on the other side of surrender. But this young man, he couldn't do it because he had great wealth and he walks away sad. One way to experience this kind of prayer, this call to discipleship, this call to surrender all, is to simply reject it and say, I don't want, any, I don't want to give up. I don't want to give up anything for the sake of God's kingdom. If you cut the prayer in half and just include the positive parts, I'll pray it. But the negative parts, we've got to throw away because I'm not interested. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, Little Bottoms Free Store was short on volunteers. And um, I uh, got a text from our operations director, Heidi, saying, hey, we're short on volunteers. Would you be willing to volunteer and or send out a call to people to volunteer? And I, I'm going to get just, I gotta, this is, I'm getting something off my chest here, so just forgive me for this, okay? I, gotta, I just have to get this out um, for you all, uh, for my sake, and share this with you. I try really hard not to be a hypocrite. I... You know, it's not easy, though. <laughs> when you talk as much as I talk up front and say as much as I, and preach as often as I do, it's, I mean, there's a lot of things that I have to then live up to in order to not be a hypocrite. You know, and I think James talks about how, you know, it's better not to be a teacher, um, partly because of this. I mean, if you get up there and preach 50 weeks or 40 weeks in a year, there's a lot of stuff that you got to, you know, you got to try to do. Well, I don't typically volunteer at Little Bottoms Free Store. Um, part of that's because for a while, Lissa was running it, and that was her thing, and I wanted to give her space, and so I've gotten out of the rhythm, and I haven't volunteered at Little Bottoms Free Store in probably two years. It might be strange to hear that, because I'm a huge advocate. I spend a lot of time working at Little Bottoms Free Store, but during normal office hours. I just don't, on Thursday nights, I don't go on Thursday nights. I just got out of the habit of it. And um, I use th- my evenings for a lot of other meetings, and so I try to keep Thursdays for, for my family. So. Um, I put out the call like I'm supposed to. I sent an email to everyone. We ended up getting enough volunteers so that I wasn't needed. But there was something inside of me 
the spirit, my conscious, whatever, that said, you should probably go tonight. I just really didn't want to. I just didn't want to. It was Christmas time, and Christmas is my thing. I love Christmas. And the irony of this is still, you know, continues to be lost on me. But, um, you know, I love Christmas, and I wanted to keep Christmas, you know, <laughs> even though I'm the type of guy that would get up here and tell you that Christmas is about going and serving people, right? So, like I said, I try not to be a hypocrite, but I'm not saying I'm not. And I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go because it was Christmas time. I didn't want to go because I don't like going out at night. And I also find large crowds to be really exhausting. The only thing more, you know, like we've got a small group in here today, and, and preaching to a small group can be anxiety-producing for a totally different set of rooms. But a very large crowd can be very anxiety-producing for me, especially when everyone's running around and stuff. So I just didn't want to go, and I didn't. And, you know, I was thinking about this as I was preparing the sermon because for the last three weeks or four weeks since that happened, there's been a little bit of sadness in my heart. I knew I should have done it. I walked away sad. Just like that rich young ruler. Friends, you can look at this prayer or this call to discipleship or whatever it is that God's laying on your heart that you're supposed to do, give, serve, and you can say, no thanks, not for me, don't got the time, whatever. But if you're, it, will, it will produce sadness. Because the invitation is from a place of love. And God said, I want what's best for you. And what did I miss by not doing it? Now, there's no shame in turning from, you know, turning from God's calling, missing a chance to serve. This, I'm not trying to produce any shame. It's, it's a very normal response. I do it. I'm sure you've done it. We all reject this kind of call on our lives at some point. So if that's you, I just want to say no worries. But I, but, I, but I will say this, that I doubt you will walk away from it and experience joy. It's not going to be fun. So the first way you, you can see a prayer or a call to surrender all is, is a battle cry, this, this young, energetic, like, I'm going to go and give it all. The other way is to place a conviction where he says, I don't want to do this. And then you've got to live with the, the, the regret of missing an opportunity and experience forgiveness and grace. There's always forgiveness and grace. The, the third way is similar, but um, what I would call a trigger. You know, most times when we pray this, even from a place of energy, we do kind of hope that the good and the bad are going to even out, that if God calls me to have everything sometimes and God calls me to have nothing sometimes, like that's, we hope that those will kind of even themselves out, um, that I'll get a little bit of the good with a little bit of the bad, um, that whatever happens, um, it'll work out. The reality is, is that sometimes it doesn't. I was sharing this sermon uh, a just my, a few of my points. I only had three responses to this prayer, and I was sharing with my, a friend a couple days ago, and he offered me what I, what I think became this fourth one, um, where he, he said he ran across this prayer last year in the midst of the pandemic when everything in his life was falling apart, and it was so hard, and he was so tired, and he was so worn out, and he had nothing else to give, and then people um, in his community were referencing this prayer, and he was just like, F that. I don't have any more. I can't give up anymore. I, I'm so, like, I already have given up too much. I've already suffered too much. You know, there's a story in the scriptures about this guy by the name of Job who, who experienced only the bad side of the prayer for some reason that isn't really even fully explained. God invited Job to be the person that just lost everything. So much so that in, in Job 3.1, Job says he, he opened his mouth and he cursed the day he was born. I wish I wasn't even alive. I wish I wasn't born. And I know that many of us have been to that place where it's like, I don't even want to do this anymore. It's just too overwhelming. There's a possibility that this kind of prayer 
if you've experienced a lot of loss, it might stir or trigger memories of those loss. Or this fear that God would want you to suffer more. And I think our response to that can be a lot of things. We can get stressed or we can get angry. But ultimately, I would encourage us to move, that, move to a place of lament, to a place of mourning. You know, the point of the story of Job is, I think, relatively simple, considering how complicated it is. God doesn't specifically explain why Job was made to suffer, but one thing was clear. He wasn't suffering because he had done something to deserve it. He didn't deserve it, which I think is really good news. If you're suffering and you see a prayer like this and it's like, oh, I can't suffer anymore, why would I ask for that? And it becomes a little bit of a trigger, you know, or it's like, I can't do it. If you're suffering, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you deserve it. And I just want to say that God hears your cries and knows your pain and can handle all of your anger. If you see a prayer like this or a call to give up even more and it just frustrates you or makes you anxious or makes you angry or it triggers something, I just want to let you know that you can take that to God. That can be your response. And God's fine with it. God can handle it. This one and the one before is similar. If you're you're operating in a place of comfort where you're happy with your life and God calls you to give up something you don't want to, we call that conviction. But if you're operating in a place of pain and anguish and suffering and you feel compelled to, you know, the church is telling you to do even more, it's okay to get upset. It's okay to let God know that you've had enough. I can't promise you it's going to change your situation, but whatever you're feeling... God can handle that. So there's a couple ways to respond. You can, it can be a battle cry. It can be a, a cause of conviction, maybe even deep sadness. If you choose to walk away from whatever God's calling you to do, it can be a trigger that creates stress, anxiety, anger, lament, a fear that you'll have to suffer even more. There's one more that I think, and, and this is one I've been pondering on for quite a while. One more story. There's a story in the Gospels of the prodigal son. And many, many sermons have been offered on the prodigal son. I'm not going to necessarily add to that canon today, but I, but I do want to reflect on it. Um, there's, there's this young man, and uh, he gets his inheritance. You guys know the story, probably. He gets his inheritance, and he decides he's going to go spend it however he wants. So he gets what, he get, what he's due from his father, and he goes and he's going to spend it. Let's look at the passage real quick. It's out of, uh, um, uh, let's put it up, Luke 15. He says, after he gets his inheritance, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Love that. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he spent all his money, and now he's in trouble. So he went and hired himself out as a citizen of that country, to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs, which would have been... Terrible, because he was, you know, the idea is that the, the, the character's Jewish and pigs were unclean. So he's reached the, the lowest of the lowest. You know, they, they smell bad, they're gross. We fed pigs um, this last fall at, uh, what's, the, what's the historic farm that's one of the metro parks? Is it Slate Run? Yeah, so we, we went there, fed some pigs. Disgusting little creatures. Great food, in my opinion, as a Gentile. But, dis- I mean, it's just gross. So he goes to the pig feed. He's going to feed pigs. And he-, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Go to the next verse. When he came to his senses, he said this, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. 
I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Now his father embraces him as a son. That's the point of the story. But I want to focus just on this part. He says, he basically says this. If I'm going to be treated as a servant, I might as well be a servant of my father. I've been thinking about this a lot. I think this is probably where I'm at the most. Have you ever tried to go out on your own and just do it on your own? You're just going to figure, you're going to take what God has given you, your inheritance, you know, your talents, your resources, your assets, and you're just going to, you you don't mean to maybe, it's not even intentional, like you still believe in God, you're not running from God, but you're just in the natural course of human existence going to figure it out on your own. And maybe up until this moment, that was your plan for 2022. Just figure it out on your own, you know? We're just, I mean, you know, like I'm just going to, I'll make it work, I'll make it happen. What I've found when I do that, which I do it way often, more often than I'd like to admit, I find myself in the same story as the prodigal son where I've, I've taken what God has given me and I've tried to make something of it by myself and it just doesn't work out. And, and you reach a breaking point. You reach a point where you're just like, I, I've been trying on my own for as long as I can and I almost, I hear the words of this prayer or this call to surrender all, and I almost hear it from this place of the prodigal son who says, I've been trying to do it on my own for so long, if, and I've only found myself hurting. I've, I've become, you know, we're all a servant of something. We're all a servant of someone, and he's become a servant of this terrible, you know, he has to feed the pigs, and he has nothing to eat, and he's barely surviving. He's, it's this attitude, it's like, if I'm going to be hurting, I might as well hurt as one of God's children. If I'm going to be a servant, I might as well be a servant of God's children. And, and part of the prayer is this moment where you say to yourself, what, you know, whatever you have for me, it's better than what the world has to offer. So, yeah, you come to God like the prodigal son comes to his father. You know what? Make me a servant if that's what you'd like, but just let me be with you. Rank me wherever you want to rank me. Leave, you know, whatever you want me to have, let me have it. Whatever, wherever you have me, God, is better than what I'm trying to do on my own. I've been sitting with this one the most, and, and I love it because of this. Part of surrender... And part of surrendering all honestly produces a sigh of relief for me. Because I, I get to um, surrender, my, I have to surrender my rights, but by doing so, I also then end up surrendering my worries. Because here's the thing with surrender. If I take my life and I give it to God and say, it's all yours, guess what? God's problem now. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's God's problem now. God, you want me to do something different? Open the door. You want me to give something up? You want me to go volunteer somewhere? Just make it clear. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to stress about it. I don't have to figure it out. I'm yours. And, and being able to just give it up and just say, I'm yours. I, I do. I surrender all. And, and I'm yours. And I'll do whatever you have me do. And all of a sudden, I don't have to carry the weight of wondering whether I'm doing enough or not doing enough or doing too little. 
It's not mine to worry about anymore. A couple of ways to respond to a prayer like this. It can be a battle cry, a courageous cry out, I'm going to do something courageous and risky for God. It could be a source of conviction, and maybe that's where you're at moving into 2022, where it's like, you know what? I know I should, woulda, coulda, shoulda, but I haven't, and that makes me, you know, that eats, takes away a little bit of my joy. It could be a trigger. Maybe you're hurting too much already, and you can't handle anymore, and the idea of surrendering even more to God just triggers you. You can let God know that. Or it might be a sigh of relief a way of thanking God that I don't have to worry about my life anymore because it's not mine to worry about. I I handed it over. Everyone serves something or someone, and if I'm going to be a servant, which I'm bound to be, I might as well be God. So here I am. Send me. I want to put the prayer back up again as we talk through these three responses. I'm just going to leave that first slide up for a second. I encourage you to read through that. Maybe you have a response of your own. I, I, I don't claim to have, have it all figured out by any means, and so maybe you read it and it doesn't, you know, maybe there's no response. But as you read these words and reflect on them and imagine them to be your own from a place of conviction, could you say this honestly and live up to it? From a place of integrity, you know, um, how do you respond? Is it one of the four I've listed? Is it something else? Take a second and think about that. had a moment to read through it and reflect on it. I am going to pray it, and if you feel so led, you can pray it with me, um, either in person or online. The words will be on the screen. The prayer goes simply like this. I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt, rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee, exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. Next slide. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine and I am thine, so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth let it be ratified in heaven. Amen.